get into the text here, I think it's so important, you know, when you're reading scripture, uh, you really gotta have a, when you read scripture, you gotta, um, you gotta like kind of search for a big picture view of the scripture. Like what's, what's the big picture thing happening? What's the structure of the scripture, right? And I kind of share this with, with uh, preachers in these preaching workshops. Before you get into the small minute details, first you gotta look at the big picture of the scripture, the structure and what is being said. So we're gonna do that first really quick. And then you're gonna kind of see how, how we come to this conclusion of joy and love uh, in these details. Um, so we're gonna get into uh, verses one through 11 first. And I'm going to read all of verses one through 11. In the scripture, it says this. It says, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burns. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your love may be full, uh, that your joy may be full. Man, that's where we get this first kind of fruit, right? When you look at the structure of this text and what's going on, big picture, he's saying all of these things, right? And then verse 11, boom, right there. Verse 11, he's really clear. I'm telling you this because these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's a purpose statement. That's the purpose of why he is saying what he's saying before that. That is a purpose statement. These things I have spoken so my joy is in you and your joy may be full. So let's backtrack, right? Let's backtrack and talk about how we get there. Man, how do we get to this statement that Jesus makes? How do we get to this joy that I know that we're all looking for, man? Even as young kids, they may not have like a true real understanding of, of really what joy is, but man, even young kids, they, they kind of, they're looking for it. It's not as clear and, and discernible to them as it is for an adult, but they're looking for joy. So we got to backtrack and talk about how we get there. I mean, how does it always begin? Nothing really ever changes. How does it begin? It always begins with identity. Jesus's identity. Always. It always begins with him. It doesn't begin with us. 
It begins with Jesus and who he is. It begins with his revelation of who he is and then what that means for us. So what does he say there right in the beginning? He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He's revealing his identity. Throughout the gospels, Jesus is always revealing his identity in different ways that his disciples can understand. Right, all throughout the gospel of John, he says, what's he say? He says, I am the bread of life, right? I am the bread of life. And then he kind of explains what that means. I am the bread of life. He talks about, I am the sheep gate. I am the sheep gate. And then he explains what exactly that means to the disciples and what that means to us. He also says things like, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection, I am. Seven times he says these I am statements, right? I am the good shepherd. And then he explains what that means, what the implications of that are on their lives. I am the good, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Identity, it starts with Jesus's identity. It always does and who Jesus is. Man, we wanna know our identity and we should, but pump the brakes a little bit. We can't get too far ahead of ourselves. We gotta, we gotta understand Jesus and know his identity first, and then we can understand our identity and what that means for our lives. So who Jesus is, it means everything. Who he is to you means everything. And verses one through three, Jesus again gives information about his identity, the true vine. Jesus compares himself to a vine to a vine and the father is a vine dresser. Or some translations it says the, the father is the gardener, the vine dresser or the gardener. My father-in-law, my father-in-law is crazy. This dude's crazy. This guy is like Indiana Jones. I mean, if you, if you wanted to like know Indiana Jones in real life, like my father-in-law, Stephanie's dad is that guy, Raj is his name. Man, he goes on trips and adventures. Uh, the past couple of years, he just walked across the entire country, literally. Yeah, he just wanted to go on a hike and just go for a walk. And he walked from the Delaware shore to the California shore. Took him about two years, didn't do it all at once. But no, his latest adventure, you know, cause we were, we were wondering, you know, hey, he finished that hike across the country. Where, where, what are you gonna do next? You know, are you gonna hike the Himalayas or something? No, actually, he, uh, he booked a trip to go to Israel, and uh, it, it's crazy. He, uh, he, he, he booked a trip to go to Israel uh, to volunteer uh, to prune grapevines. Yeah, to prune grapevines. And, and he was working with, like, tree reforestation efforts there. I, I know, like, just random stuff. Like, you guys are like, wow, he's crazy. I'm kind of used to it now, and my, my wife is definitely used to it him doing all these crazy things. But that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So he actually just got back, I guess, a few nights ago. He was there for maybe like two, three weeks. I don't know. But he was pruning grapes. That was what he was doing. He was volunteering to, to prune grape vines while in Israel. There are grape vines everywhere in Israel. I guess that's just like a, a staple in, in Israel. There's grape vines everywhere. Maybe that's just a natural, you know, I don't know, thing over there in Israel. There's grape vines everywhere you go in Israel. And Jesus likely is using that and he's trying to compare himself to what it means to be a vine, 
right? And for the father to be a vine dresser so his disciples can easily understand, man, who exactly Jesus is. Throughout the text, Jesus explains the implications of his identity on us. And right there in the text, it says, as a branch can't bear fruit apart from the vine, we can't bear fruit apart from Jesus. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow, that's a, that's a blanket statement, absolute statement if I've ever heard one. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. All that we are, all that we do in our lives is because of Jesus. Man, he is ordaining, he is allowing us, he is control, he is in control. And man, whatever you do, it's because of Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Man, Jesus, then he kind of shares uh, another interesting implication of his identity on us in this scripture. He says, a branch that bears fruit, that's cool and all, that's cool, but you actually have to be pruned pruned so you can bear more fruit. You got to be pruned so you can bear more fruit. That's what they do with these grapevines. And my father-in-law was doing that, you know, pruning and cutting and harvesting grapes. Well, it's, it's the same thing with us, Jesus is saying. We can bear some fruit, but to bear more fruit, we have to be pruned. My father-in-law was sharing with me. I was trying to understand this a little bit more. And he was sharing with me all these things, you know, uh, you know, to produce fruit, to produce these grapes, the vines must be pruned with like these special shears and these special scissors. And somebody said it's hard work. Uh, and apparently it's real hard work to, to prune and, you know, uh, to cut these vines and, and things like that. And pruning, man, you prune, you prune to remove tiny little bugs right, to, to keep tiny little bugs from embedding uh, into the branches and into the vine. Uh, and and you, you, you prune uh, to, to cut off all these unseen things um, that are in the branches. It gives air circulation uh, to the vine and to the branches. Um, and pruning uh, also prevents branches from attracting other branches, from attracting other branches when the conditions become favorable. And the branches, when not pruned, they can start attracting to each other and they start getting tangled, right? They start getting tangled and it just becomes a big mess. It becomes a big mess and it, and it stops the vine from producing good fruit. That's, what, that's another thing. And to not prune, man, to not prune, man, we're in like science class right now, biology, whatever. Man, to not prune, somebody's into it. <laughs> to not prune, man, results in energy being put into useless and unneeded things like twigs that can grow or leaves, unnecessary leaves. You know, leaves are good. You want some leaves. These are fake, by the way. Uh, you, you need some leaves, but man, you don't want too many leaves because again, it ruins air circulation. It stops sunlight from getting in uh, and for, for good fruit to grow. And if you do that, insects and diseases can, can happen. In serious situations, unpruned branches may cross and like I said, entangle resulting in death. And here's the interesting thing, man, some fruit may be produced without pruning. It may be produced without, fruit, without pruning, but each passing season without pruning, it results 
and less and less and less fruit. There's a diminishing return. And it's just like a slow, like withering away. It's, it's, a, de- it's a long death. Every season, when not pruned, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse over the long haul. I thought that was really interesting, man. I was like, man, I can preach that. There's something to preach there. And we're gonna talk about that. Man, the vine, the vine and the branch picture emphasizes complete, utter dependence in our constant connection with Jesus. And that's what we need. Complete dependence and total connection with Jesus at all times, at all times in our lives. Man, in light of his identity and its implications on us, verse four, verse four is a command. I mean, he gives us a command in there. As you're reading scripture and you find commands, and what is that command? That command is abide in me and I in you. This mutual kind of relationship. It doesn't just say abide in me. It doesn't just say abide in me. It says abide in me and I in you. Intimacy. A mutual relationship with each other. Abide in me, I abide in you. And how do we do this? Man, we do this by putting our faith and trust in Christ. First, first and foremost, for salvation. We do this by by reading the word, getting into scripture, reading the word in our private lives, having a personal experience with Jesus through his word. We do it through prayer. We do it through prayer. We do it through repentance. Man, repentance of our daily sin and just bringing it forward to God and experiencing his forgiveness and growing in his grace every day. Man, that's how we abide. When we begin abiding in him, man, we begin bearing fruit. But that's not enough. That's not enough. You know, when we come to faith in Christ and trust in Christ for our salvation, man, a little bit of fruit comes up. A little bit of fruit, but God's like, that's good. I wanna bear more fruit. I want you guys to bear more fruit. So now we're gonna start going through this pruning process. You know, all those twigs and little insects and that would be sin. That would be sin in our lives. I wanna cut all that out. I wanna prune you. I wanna cut sin out of your life so you can bear more and more good fruit in your life. And in this particular case, Jesus is talking about joy. In this case, he's talking about joy. Man, when we allow sin to fester in our lives, unrepented of, unconfessed, we allow sin to fester and remain, right? Like those branches, it entangles. It entangles us. It stops air circulation, right? And and sunlight from getting in and helping us to bear more fruit. And just like that, just like those vines, we slowly begin to wither and we start to lose life. Like we're not literally dying. Well, we actually are, but it's a slow process. And every time we don't repent of our sin, every time we don't confess and we don't face our sin and bring it to the altar of Jesus and receive his grace and forgiveness, man, our our lives begin to just, spiritually and slowly wither away. And we begin a slow death. 
And the fruit that we bear becomes less and less and less over the course of our lives. And it's a slow process. Man, it happens over the course of many years throughout our lives when we don't address this. Failing to abide means that life fails. It fails, man. We don't live life the way that we are supposed to live our life. God has designed us to live a certain way. And when we don't abide in him, we can't live according to that. We can't experience this joy and this blessing that God wants for our lives. Jesus also goes beyond his statement. Like I said, abide in me. And in verse nine, he says something else. Man, what's he say? He says, abide in my love. He says, abide in my love. So abide in me and I in you, abide in my love. Abide in my love for you. Do you guys understand what I'm getting at? We gotta understand Jesus and his identity first and his love for us before we can even think about loving him. It starts with him and he says, abide in my love. He doesn't say abide in your love for me. Dude, you don't love me. You definitely don't love me as much as you think you do. You need to abide in my love first. He says, abide in my love. Joy comes from abiding in Jesus and his love. And his love by growing in our knowledge of his love for us. Man, he shows that completely and ultimately on the cross. That's the place we go. That's the proof we go. Man, if we wanna really know and understand how much God loves us, you know, we might ask that question, God, do you love me? I just don't see it. All this is happening in my life. And do you really love me? Man, you go to the cross. That's where you go. That's proof that he loves you beyond measure. That's the love that he wants you to abide in, to abide in his love as we see it on the cross. Jesus bore fruit in his ministry, did he not? That dude bore fruit in his ministry, man. He was one with the Father. I mean, this teaching we're experiencing in the Lord's, in the upper room, his teaching, uh, his love, man, his grace, his miracles. That dude bore fruit, if anybody did, on this earth. But man, on the cross, he was pruned. He was cut. He was cut and he was pruned so he would bear more fruit, eternal fruit. He was cut and he was pruned on the cross so he could bring all of it. He could bring all of it to us and make all of it available to us. He was cut and he was pruned on the cross for us, birthing eternal fruit and more fruit. We gotta ask some questions. We gotta ask some questions, man. Where are you going for joy? Where are you going for joy? Because probably intellectually, we all might be saying, yeah, I'm going to Jesus. I'm here at church, right? Like I'm here. So yeah, of course. Man, just because we're here, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean we're going to Jesus for joy. Just because we place our bodies inside a building and sit in seats and listen to a sermon and listen to music and sing the lyrics, 
That doesn't mean we're going to Jesus for joy. Hey, it's a good thing and we should be doing that. And it could be a little bit of a sign. It could be a little bit of sign and a little bit of fruit. Man, is Jesus your vine? Is Jesus your vine or is something else your vine in your life? We often promote other things to that vine, that vinehood. Man, do we often promote other things to that vine? And maybe not other things, but maybe ourselves. Man, maybe I'm the vine, right? And we just kind of demote Jesus to being a branch. And that, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. We demote Jesus to being a branch. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I thought it was really particular and interesting that he said true. Why didn't he just say, I'm the vine, right? Why does he say, I'm the true vine? He says, I'm the true vine. I'm thinking about it because Jesus is implying that there are many imposters that we're gonna go to. Many imposters that we're gonna go to for this joy and make that as the vine. So Jesus is like, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. Man, we're gonna go to rules and regulations to to try and be right with God, to the law, to God's law. That's not the vine. The law, God's law is only there to make you realize that you need a vine. (laughs) That's not the vine itself. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Maybe it's not the law, man, maybe, maybe it's our job Maybe it's our job, like that's our vine. That's where I get my, my value. That's where I get my worth. That's where I get my significance. I get all of that from my job. My identity comes from my job. Maybe it's your job, man. Maybe it's money, right? Maybe it's achievement. Man, maybe it's our kids. Man, we elevate our kids to this, this vine status. You know, we love to live vicariously through our kids, man. Maybe, maybe growing up, you know, we did something and we loved something, but, you know, uh, it had to end somehow for some reason. We couldn't do it anymore, and we were just broke. We were broken because of that. And then we have kids, and then we have our kids do what we used to do, right? So they can kind of live, we can live vicariously through our kids, And then whatever value and worth and significance that I was trying to get from that activity or whatever it is I did, now I'm just getting it through my own kids, right? Man, how common is that in parenthood? That we go to our kids for our significance and our value and our worth. They're not our vine. Man, just this past week, I was in a discipleship meeting, you know, with Charlie over there, right? I was in a discipleship meeting with Charlie. Uh, I guess it was Thursday morning. And uh, the moment I left the doors uh, from the corner bakery, which is where we met, we, we finished. And uh, the moment I left the doors, and this was totally God. If I had left five seconds earlier or five seconds later, I, this probably would not have happened. The moment I left the doors, this guy approaches me, kind of disheveled, a little stumbly, and just kind of, you know, not well or normal. He's like, hey man, you know, with a raised voice, hey man, can you, can you, can you drive me to a beer store so I can get beer? You know, 
and so I'm, I'm kind of caught off guard, you know, whenever that happens, you're just kind of like caught off guard. And by the way, it's 9.30 in the morning. It's 9.30 a.m. And I'm just like, man, I'm like, bro, I can't take you to the beer store. I'm sorry, man, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. I can't do that, but I got good news for you. I got good news for you. And it's better news than whatever this alcohol is doing for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we believe that, he transforms us. And he begins producing fruit in our lives. He was offended. He starts yelling at me. I'm like, oh man, am I gonna get beat up? It's true, you're reading the Bible. People get beat up for sharing the gospel. And he starts raising his voice and he, he thinks like I'm judging him and you know stuff like that. I'm like, hey man, hey, I'm not judging you. I got my own sin to reckon with. I got my own sin to reckon with. I'm just telling you good news that I believe for myself and I have changed a lot. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because that man's vine it wasn't, I'm not judging the guy, but it's not difficult to understand what his vine is. It's 9.30 in the morning and he's trying to get me to buy him alcohol and drive to a store. The dude's vine is alcohol. His vine is alcohol. And then he walked on and I, I moved on too. Did my job, you know, the best that I could. I did my job the best that I could. Guys, we gotta look deep and hard where our vine is. Man, if, if, if you're married, does your marriage bear fruit? That's always convicting to me. My wife and I have a marriage is not perfect. Asking those questions for myself is always convicting. Man, are we experiencing joy, this fruit of joy in our marriage? Is your marriage bearing fruit? Is your family bearing fruit? This fruit of joy, man, are you bearing fruit as a person? Is your relationship with people where you work, is it bearing fruit? Man, what's this next thing? Because Jesus gives us two fruits, like I said, in this text. The next part of this scripture, verses 12 through 17, let's check this out. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. And then here's another purpose statement. He says, these things I command you, so that you love one another. There's another purpose statement. 
I'm telling you this so that this would happen. This is the reason why I'm telling you things. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So let's backtrack, right? How did we get there? How do we get there? Let's backtrack and talk about how we get there. It always begins with identity, right? It begins with Jesus's identity. Jesus is the vine and the father is the vine dresser and we must abide in him, right? And what did he say? Abide in his love, right? And who he is and him and us. Jesus now brings us into this intimacy of a relationship with him by no longer calling them servants, but now he calls them friends. That's a really intimate thing to say, right? Oh man, we're friends? Man, Jesus is talking about intimacy here. We're his friends. In light of this and his identity as the true vine, when we abide in his love, we are able to love others. His love first, our love for others. And when he says greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, that's a true statement. That's a true statement. And you hear that a lot in our culture, you know, that we would die for our friends. That's a true friend, that's true. But what our culture doesn't do is actually understand that in the context of where it comes from, which is here. And when Jesus is talking about himself, he's ultimately saying in light of this coming death tomorrow, the next day he will be laying down his life for his friends on the cross. Identity. He will be cut and pruned to bear greater fruit, eternal fruit for us in the kingdom of God. And the joy of the Lord, not just any joy, not just any joy, but the joy of the Lord frees us to love others freely. The joy of the Lord frees us to love freely in our lives. The gospel brings great joy because though it reveals how sinful, it also reveals how loved I am. That Jesus has died for me, but he was glad to die for me. It wasn't nails that kept him on the cross. It's Jesus. He could have called down his angels and, you know, brought his battle, you know, whatever. He could have just done whatever he wanted to do. It wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was love. I'm staying here, nailed to the cross. I can get down if I want, but I'm staying here and it's because of love that he remains on the cross. This should bring great joy to our souls. The joy of grace frees me to love freely in our lives. Man, when we fail to abide in the love of Jesus and fail to keep his commandments, like the scripture says, we will not experience the fullness of joy that Jesus promised to those who would abide in his love and obedience. Man, there's nothing worse than people who are joyless and loveless. Isn't that not true? There's not, there's, there may not be anything worse than a person that's loveless and joyless. Joylessness and lovelessness can do nothing for the kingdom of God. It'll do nothing for our lives. The worst days for me are when I am particularly unjoyful and unloving. My family can attest to that. Those are my worst days. 
It all rests on my vine. It all rests on my vine. Moment to moment, day to day, it all rests on who and what my vine is. It depends on my choices to abide in Christ's love for me through his word and through prayer and through repentance. When Jesus says abide in me and he's talking about the will, he's talking about choices. We gotta make choices. We got decisions to make. We got decisions to make. Jesus doesn't indwell in us and just make us robots. We have decisions to make in our lives. We must decide to do these things. Faith, prayer, repentance in the word and obedience to his commands. And we abide in him. Fruit bearing is inevitable with abiding and the quality and the quantity of fruit it might differ from person to person, but the presence of fruit will be inevitable. That's just who God is. It's what he does. Man, so when I look out there, you know, social media or whatever in the news, and how, how can professing Christians, how can people who profess to be Christian be racist? How can they be racist? How can they be greedy? How can a professing Christian be materialistic? How can that happen? How can a professing Christian be addicted to beauty and to pleasure and just filled with inordinate anxiety? How can a professing Christian be prone to overwork? How? All this comes because it's not Christ's love that we abide in. It's not Christ's love that we abide in, rather we're abiding in the world. We're abiding in the world, we're abiding in power, approval, comfort, control. We're abiding in self-dependence, not God-dependence. We're abiding in self-dependence, we're the vine. That's how all that stuff happens. If you meet a racist Christian, Jesus is not his vine. That man or woman is his own vine. Jesus is not his vine. We can become so angry and hurtful for a moment, and this is convicting to me, we can become so angry and hurtful for a moment because just, just for a moment, Jesus is not our vine. Just for a moment, he's not our vine. We can be so cold and judgmental because we're detached from the vine. We can be so arrogant and self-righteous because we're detached from the vine. We're detached from Jesus. We can become so offended by the slightest remark because our identity is not rooted in Christ's love for me. We can become so offended by the slightest remark. We are so needy. We are so needy and fragile and self-pitying because our identity is not built up and fortified in Christ's love for me. We are so self-assured. Our confidence is in ourselves so much because our shallow belief in the gospel has not led us to assurance from God in our salvation and for his providence in our lives. We can be so self-assured because we don't have God assurance in our lives. We're not attached to the vine. 
So the first question we have to ask is, do we believe in the gospel? Do we believe in the gospel? Do we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins? Do we believe that? But belief exclusively doesn't equal abiding. That is great you believe, that's a victory. That doesn't equal abiding exclusively. That doesn't equal abiding. The next question is, are we obeying Jesus's commands? Are we obeying Jesus's commands? And to know his commands, we gotta be in his word consistently, right? And then knowing his commands, are we repenting of our sins? Are we confessing and repenting of our sins? And are we, are we in prayer? All of that, that whole thing, believing, obeying, word, praying, repentance, all of that is abiding. It's not just belief. There's a lot of people that believe and they bear no fruit. They have an intellectual belief and maybe they do in their heart but they bear no fruit in their life. And it's probably because they don't live in repentance. They're not in the word. And they don't obey Jesus's commands. And that's where I wanna challenge you guys is to look at our lives. And I don't want us to look at this like a checklist. This isn't how I become right with God by doing all these things. Notice in that picture, my awesome doodling, Christ's love for us, that's first. That's before we did anything, right or wrong. Jesus loves us. And then what's next? Then there's faith, right? Christ's love is first, before we did anything, good or bad, and then faith, and then repentance and prayer, scripture, obedience. That's all abiding. And then there's my sweet grape, grapefruit tree. Then comes the fruit. Then comes the fruit, joy and love. Joy of the Lord, man, and love for people. Love for everyone. Let's pray.